Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction. So thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You're listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary folks doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with a bend toward the remarkable. This episode was born out of the desire to encourage those of us working survival jobs to make our dreams a reality. If you've been there, this is for you. Let's get to it. Hello, Rogue Ones. This is your Rogue Leader, Leslie Eiler Thompson, back with another full episode of the Rogue Ones podcast, in which we talk with fascinating individuals going full on rogue in their life journey, and we get to benefit from learning about their mistakes and successes so that we may adopt the same attitudes for our own rogue lifestyle. Today's episode features a disciplined and exquisite musician just barely at the onset of a long career in making music. It's a discussion about expectation, failure, and intention. As you listen to us catching up in the Rogue headquarters, which is to say my house, with coffees and birds chirping outside, I'm hopeful that you'll walk away feeling like you aren't alone. You aren't alone in feeling like you failed. You aren't alone in unrealized expectations, and you certainly aren't alone in your quest to make your craft your main thing. Her name is Abigail Flowers. Side note, isn't that the best artist name of all time? And you'll hear our conversation shortly. Did you know there's a rogue party happening online? Well, there is, and it's wild. If you meander your way on over to rogueonespodcast.com, you'll find a couple things. The first is an invitation to submit your email to receive information about each episode that no one else gets. I would love to have you join us there. And then there's a link to the Rogue One Spotify playlist. It's made up of songs submitted by listeners, and it's the perfect Friday morning soundtrack. Well, now let's get on with it. Meet Abby Flowers. each other from Belmont University in the commercial voice program which is essentially it's like a rock star school it's right. like if you want to be a rock star yeah. like come to this school but talk about what where are you at right now what is your sort of feeling right now about your career because you've been doing the self-employed on yeah. your own thing for how long like five months now five months yeah and how's it going what are you feeling what's the I was managing an ice cream shop for a year. I worked for Jenny's for several years and then felt like I needed an adult's income, health insurance, just felt overwhelmed. And You worked um, for Jenny's just as a part-timer. Part- yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. An, an ambassador. Oh, is that what you were? <laughs> yes, I was an ambassador and then a shift leader. And so I took a full-time job, became a manager, and quickly realized this is not for me, but I need to 
see it through. So I committed to a year and I did a year and then I just saved like crazy throughout that and thought I'll give myself three months worth. So I saved up what I thought was three months of income and gave my notice, quit my job at the end of October or middle, whatever, sometime in October. And 2017, 2017. I thought that I was going to have to return to some kind of part-time work in January. And I have not had to do that. That is in large part due to the fact that my husband's income Mm -hmm. is good and is growing. I have to remind myself like of people who graduated from Belmont with our degree. Yes. How many people are still pursuing music? Uh-huh. So few. So few. It is not a viable career for a lot of people. When did you make the choice to do the career? And what is the career, in your words, that you are pursuing? My whole life, like, music was the thing. I think my my brother is a person who is, like, good at so many things, doesn't feel like this deep aching call to one thing and I am a person who I'm capable of many things but there was never any question like music was going to be my thing still sorting what what it is about music that I love Mm -hmm. you can only pursue something for a lifetime if you love it if you have like if it is intrinsically valuable to you if no one ever gave you applause for it what would you be doing I don't think that I ever chose what I was going to do so much as I chose not to do other things like it's a continual weeding out right of certain things for example when I was in high school I was a standout Spanish student, and I went to governor's school for Spanish, and the first year I took Spanish classes, I ranked nationally on the national Spanish exam. Like, it it always felt uh, unreasonable how (laughs) it felt more like remembering something than learning. Like, it just came very naturally. And so when I was applying to colleges, it was, are you going to study music at Belmont for expensive, or are you going to study Spanish at JMU for free? <laughs> ah. And um, music was my first choice, and so if that hadn't worked out, I might have gone the Spanish route. But I chose music over that and various other things that um, maybe could have been my more practical career. Sure. I think the idea of doing music as a career Mm -hmm. is something that not very many people think about they think about record deal they think about all of um, uh, huge concerts in front of tons of people they think about my cd yeah or you know my itunes album or whatever Mm -hmm. my um, spotify you know they think about the ends of what that means Mm -hmm. the but they don't think about the means to that end yep and it truly was not something I really understood until I got a couple years into Belmont. 
and I started realizing, oh my heavens, like, there, this is a career, and any career, you have to invest, whether it be money, time, all sorts of things, and so the idea that you want to make a career out of being a jazz vocalist, correct? Right. Is that the terminology you've landed on? I would not even say that I feel that is definitely at least 60% of it. Right. I am rediscovering my non-jazz music side, too. I cannot imagine not doing jazz for the rest of my life. Yeah. But I don't think that will be the only thing. Why... Why jazz? Why is that um, something that you never want to set aside? What is that origin? I love the music itself. Like, I just, it moves me. And I think that's a very subjective. Like, everyone has just different things they connect with. But some things that I love are great melodies. And you find a lot of that in, in jazz standards. I love interesting harmony. Definitely something you find in jazz. Definitely. Um, and improvisation is kind of a perfect marriage of those to me. So listening to Ella Fitzgerald improvise is like magical and hearing someone compose a fantastic melody and conforming to these rules of harmony like that is so engaging to me um the way that those two elements come together in improv harmony and melody so i think it's hmm. <clears throat> very that's just challenging to my brain and I have always loved the theory side of things. Um, I love writing songs. So there's there's a like in the moment creativity to jazz um, when it comes to improvisation. I love that it's a common language. The fact that there's jazz jams. There's right. like this common canon of work that so many people are familiar with. So it's kind of like an instant connection in that way. Um, at the same time, like, you can go a lifetime and keep learning. So I think that's a huge part is that it feels like a world where I will spend the rest of my life learning. And that is so comforting to me that the focus would be on lifelong learning and continual growth as opposed to making it. Interesting. Right. Which is so contrary to the rock star school. Know who you are. Right. How are you? What's your brand? What's your story? Like, 18 year olds should not know. Right. <laughs> who they are. Like, that's not part of the deal. <laughs> right. So, the culture of jazz, like, you're allowed to get old as a jazz artist. Which I adore. Yeah. And, like, you see that in country. There are other places where. You're allowed to age. But in pop music, I once had a mentor tell me, "You have, as a woman, you have until 30 to build a fan base. And you can continue to perform after that, but you won't be growing a fan base after 30. My whole life I have felt uh, that there is a block of my t 
existence that is going to be just completely void from when I start to have kids till when they're old enough to go to school. Like, I haven't, I don't dream up to that point. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it looks like. I, even before I was dating anybody seriously, I was, I could dream up until I have kids and then it's like, I don't know what happens after that. I disappear. It's been wonderful to see women that are not doing that and that are pressing forward. But in the world of music as a marketing, uh, a vehicle for marketing, there's some truth to that. Sure. But should we continue to perpetuate it? And right. should we say, just be, you know, this is how it's going to be? Or should we say, this was what was in my case, and I hope it's not like that for you? I have been damaged by people leaning too far toward, here's the way it's going to be. Right. The biggest example of that is when I was at Belmont and a certain professor every semester says to his lower seminar class, if you are a female vocalist, you are the dumbest person in the room until proven otherwise. It's worse if you're pretty. It's worse if you're blonde. And I get that that has been his experience. Like he maybe feels like he's just shining a light on sexism or something. But when he does that in a way that shames a young woman there's all he always makes an example of someone at the same time I do think there's a lot of value in hearing someone's story of what they've put up with right um but I think probably I want to hear that from women who have been through it and persevered through that I had a male friend who I felt was a very comparable musician who had the highest scholarship the school of music gives and I got no all of my scholarship was academic none of it was musical interesting and that was an automatic I think they did that to incentivize getting more men in the program because it was Mm. such a female heavy yeah um I but to me that felt like so does what does that say about my skill level I automatically felt like Oh, he must be so much smarter than me. So I think this brings up an interesting point is um, the idea of failure Mm -hmm. in our, in, in a, in a field like this, Mm -hmm. in a music field like this, uh, I don't think people hear enough where the failures are, or they think that if someone isn't big, then they're entire, then they're just not good. When I came to Belmont, it was like some showcase weekend. And I remember sitting in the crowd with my mom and yeah, my eyes were like lit up and it was like, I'm going to do that one day. And then it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And so that idea of, of failure, not doing what you think you are going to do. Mm -hmm. Um, how has, how have you seen that play out in your lifetime? I have had a very interesting mix of success and failure to where I I feel like acutely aware of how the things that maybe felt like a letdown to me or whatever, like how someone else would have really wanted that. And so I think a lot of moments that might have felt like failure at the time, I'm like, well, I need to be grateful for that because someone else would have loved to have that. And that's healthy, but I have to kind of think about, like, in the moment, what felt like failure. And definitely one of the big things is, like, commercial showcase or 
any of the other showcases where there was one ensemble that was like supposed to be, you know, all the best singers. And so I thought, all right, my sophomore year, I'll get into this ensemble. And the next year, I'll get into the next best one. And then senior year, I'll be in the quote unquote best one. And that'll be validation, you know. And that ensemble was very much marked by big voices, voices that could sing really high. And I never <laughs> developed that type of voice, partially because halfway through college, I had a tonsillectomy. Did, you, did it change your instrument? So did you feel much. It changed? I am currently still relearning to sing. Really? Because I didn't, I didn't relearn. <laughs> so, Interesting. yeah, my chest voice and my low range is underdeveloped for my age. But in high school, I was like, I was the big voice and I could, I had more vocal flexibility. I could do runs or like, you're going to be a gospel singer, which is fully laughable now. <laughs> but at the time that was all the feedback that I got. Really? I was Dorothy in The Wiz. I got invited to perform at Amateur Night at the Apollo because I sang- What? Like on a tour of the Apollo Theater, I sang my, I sang Home from The Wiz. Sure. Because that was part of the tours. You get to do a little talent show. Oh, do you And really? the guy pulled me okay. aside and said, give me your contact info. Would love to have you do this. You might get booed, but- <laughs> You might get booed well, if you literally thing. said that? Yeah, that's the thing about Amateur Night at the Apollo is that they're a ruthless audience. Oh, fun. Um, yeah. That's almost really fun. Yeah, I think that's kind of the whole thing. Did is you like, get booed? Uh, I did not do it. We, oh. we, I talked to my parents and it was just like, so you're pretty sensitive. Maybe we shouldn't. That's not, maybe that's good Maybe we shouldn't them. do that. That's, well, that's um, sweet. No, so, so I had a very different voice then. So then they chopped out half my throat your body is your instrument. So well, any trauma to changing. completely and who knows how different things in there were affected. Anyway, point is it changed the sound of my voice oh, a lot. Goodness. So it kind of like changed my whole musical trajectory and like who, who could I listen to and hear my vocal tone? It was not any longer like the big belt voice. Could you hear that as you were singing or was it in recordings that you oh, said? Oh no, like, I, it was everything. Everything. I, in my head, oh, it was like a shocking change from the get-go. My voice got a lot higher too, like. Speaking or just speaking, singing? Speaking, yeah. Oh, oh I sounded my. like a little baby child. I'm, I'm sure I do now, but I'm used to it. It's been six or seven years. How old were you when that happened? At what point were you in the? I was... I had just turned 20, maybe? So you were in the middle of school. I was in the middle. So I got tonsillitis right before I started my first semester of private commercial voice lessons. Wow. So that definitely felt like failure, sure I'm sure. Like failure. I didn't get to sound like myself. When you put a lot of your identity in your voice, which we do whether yes. or not we yes. want to or not, it just happens. And it changes. I think about my husband, who was a guitarist and got uh, tendonitis mm -hmm. and had to drop the program. And that affects you psychologically so much. And the, the body and mind, like, snowball. <laughs> yeah, you are very intense about your practicing. Mm -hmm. And I love that because there was a time where I was like, I'm a singer. I need to be practicing every yeah. day, la, 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 la. And that fell apart very quickly. Yeah. 
but you you have made a habit of it. Can you talk us through like do you have a routine? Mhm. I did not in college. I am rigid about my practice now because I for several reasons. One is that my um voice teacher has given me a very practical set of exercises and it feels very much like a gym routine. Okay. Here's your workout. It's so like scientific and methodical. You do these exercises at this speed in this order from this note to this note. And so it is very methodical. Um, it's so concrete compared to my recollection of training at Belmont, which did not feel like there was, you know, a list of three things I could practice every day and then see results from it. Right. Um, right. At least not on the vocal side. With theory, with history, like with any of the more like, I don't know, intellectual side of it, there were concrete things that could be done. And maybe that's why I really um, clung to that side of things. But um, so now I have something I can do and there's like a set of exercises and then you repeat it okay. um, with a little bit wider range. And so I can do the first set of exercises in 10 minutes okay. or I can do it for a half hour and I can just based on how I'm feeling vocally or whatever. So there's that. That's kind of the foundation of it. And the fact that I have seen measurable growth in my voice is like super motivation. So then on top of that, um, I take classes at the jazz workshop and there are songs to learn, which again feels concrete. The goal is to learn this song. Right. And, you know, you pick things up in the process. Like the more songs you learn, the more you're soaking up that vocabulary. And the next time you learn a song, you're going to be, you know, half a percent more ready to absorb that information quickly. Improvisation is another thing yeah. that I'm working on personally. And so that also feels kind of like mathematical to me. Okay, here's the chord that you're singing over. Right. And so here are, here's the palette of notes you can choose from. Right. But then four beats later, you're going to have a different palette <laughs> available to you. And you really want to hit the note that is like different. When a guitarist, for example looks at the chords on their chart. Right. They have done so much work at that point to know the scale, know Associated. what notes are involved <laughs> yeah. with each chord. Yeah. I think that's huge. And I've talked to, I have a friend at the workshop who's a flautist and is working on saxophone, um, but is about the same age. Or my voice teacher is a saxophonist and vocalist. And so we'll talk about Ooh. the different ways that improvisation or even just like theory in general, how do we approach teaching that to vocalists? How do we approach teaching that to instrumentalists? And there is such a huge gap as in my experience in how vocalists are taught and how instrumentalists are taught. And there's also the fundamental difference that most instruments, all instruments, I don't know, they are external. Right. Your voice no, is the absolutely. only internal <laughs> instrument. Right. So right. you can't point to a C right. on your voice. No. You can't no. see the shape. And that's something that I love about playing ukulele is that I can see the shape 
a different chord makes right. in my hand. And there's something, that's why I loved solfege with choir. Like there's a physical aspect to what you're singing. Yes. But I also think that um, great instrumentalists have to find a balance between ear and yeah. muscle memory. So it's not just a physical thing, but when you hear a certain chord or series of chords, it triggers more as like a an ear related intuitive thing here's the melody I want to make and it's not there there is a stage where it's very you're thinking hard about it and then there's a stage where you've practiced enough to trust your hands to kind of like do the right thing exactly (laughs) on the subject of experiences and maybe what's what's next for you I do not feel like I have a concrete goal um other than I want to make a living as a musician, I will say. And I love that you say that. You don't say, I'm going to get rich. You don't right. say, I'm going to get famous. You say, I'm going to make a living, which means yeah. you can define that however you need to. Yeah, that's very much where I'm at. And and it's what my husband is doing. So that... Um, he's a... He's a bassist. Bassist. Yes. And he does classical sessions. He played on a My Little Pony movie. He also played on no, Call of Duty that. soundtrack. Yeah. Oh my god. He goodness. played on The Last Witch Hunter starring Vin Diesel and Frodo Baggins. He's a 90-year-old man in classical settings and he's a 13-year-old boy in <laughs> um, safer zones. I I do not feel like I have a very clear picture of what my career should like look like. Um I think I know what would feel like failure to me or what would feel like giving up. My sweet grandmother, you know, well, well, you could always teach. And it's like, teaching is not a fallback. Teaching is like if you were created to mold <laughs> minds, like you do that. I don't know. Sometimes like well-meaning people outside of music will be like, you know, and, and maybe down the line you your career looks like this. And it's like, please stop giving me ways that I could give up. Yes, (laughs) right. So Mm. I know things that don't feel like a step forward for me and for how I was made to interact with the world. I, but I know, so basically my feeling right now is I have an overwhelming sense that like the path I'm on is, um, okay and I have a like great sense of hope that it is going to grow like I'm not afraid that something terrible is going to happen and I'm going to have to get a full-time job that I hate and then accidentally get pregnant before I want to and then not be able to pursue my dreams like I have a great sense of hope that music is not going to be ripped away from me, Hmm. Um, which I think has been a great fear and anxiety for a lot of my um, pseudo-adult life. As a wrap-up, I think the the idea of choosing a career, not because you were given a record deal or because Mm. you have a publishing deal, Mm -hmm. but simply on your own account, accord saying, no... I do want to be this Mm -hmm. vocalist is a very courageous thing. 
but you've had to do a lot of unpacking. Mm-hmm. That isn't an easy choice for you. That is not a choice that you just, you know, maybe it was easy in that it's just what I'm going to do. Yeah. But you've also had to do a lot of reckoning with. The choice was just to keep going. There's an, a- the actress on Orange is the New Black. Mm-hmm. Do you know how to say her name? Uzo Aduba. Thank you. And I feel I really bad so. because she, like, said to her mom, I there's know. a story If you can learn says, to say Tchaikovsky, you can learn my name. <laughs> and I still haven't learned it, so I feel terrible. Sorry if you ever hear this. Um, I'm Uzo. sorry if I said it wrong, but we're close. We're close. <laughs> uh, but she won some award, mm-hmm. and she said to all of you who are who see this and who are standing in line, Mm -hmm. don't get out of line, stay Mm -hmm. in line. Mm -hmm. And with creative work like this, like the singing, with Mm -hmm. acting, the whole point is that you just stay in it. Mm -hmm. You just stay in it. Mm -hmm. Because the people who leave are the ones that never, you know, they never get the opportunities. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. (sighs) Thank you, Wayne Gretzky, by way of Michael Michael Scott. (laughs) Mostly Michael Scott, though. Mostly Michael Scott. Well, Abby, thank you so much for joining me yeah. on the Riglins podcast. I'm so grateful to have you. I'm going to put her Instagram handle in the description, so make sure you follow her, because you're not afraid to show... When you have a tricky, when you have a tricky line yeah. in the song... The process. The process. <laughs> the process. Yeah, bro. <laughs> I love it. So follow her on Instagram, and stay up to date with what she's doing. A true rogue. Thanks, Abby. Thank you. Just after we recorded this podcast episode, Abby spent a month in Michigan as the resident in-house entertainer at Mackinac Island, and she has just launched a new website, abigailflowersmusic.com. If you liked this, you'll love my conversation with Jordan Shellhart, which was the very first episode of this show. Jordan is a singer-songwriter in Nashville dedicated to her craft despite all odds. Find this episode and all the others at rogueonespodcast.com. Thank you to Abby for joining me. Thank you to Ryan Swinehart of Sick Island Studios here in Nashville for mixing and mastering this audio you are hearing. And thank you to you for joining in for another edition of The Rogue Ones Podcast. Share it with your friends if you're into it. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Have a good one, my friend. We'll talk soon.